Welcome to the Upward Community Podcast, Mental Health Matters, where we discuss mental health matters because we know that mental health matters. Now it is. Okay. Um, so the first one is factors to take into account for making this decision. So the first, this is a, this is a Yisoda principle that I heard uh, from a very hush of individual. He calls it the 80% rule. He says that the 80% rule means that if you make a decision of where you send your kid to school or, when, or camp or whatever environment you choose to send your kid to, you have to take into account what is the 80% of the parent body or the student body or of his peers doing? What is the, what is the norm? So if you dislike what's going on in, in a certain culture, let's say you use phones, for example. If you don't think your kid should have a phone, but you send him to a school in which 80 or, or above percent of the kids, of his peers have phones, then if you're choosing to send him to that school, you need to say to yourself, I'm going to allow him to have a phone. Even if I think, even if I completely think that it's completely wrong to have phones, you can completely believe that it's wrong, but if you're sending him, it could be for financial reasons, it could be because he needs special educational help, it could be for whatever reason, but if 80% or above of the culture is doing something, you cannot put on your child to be to be of the minority if that minority is less than, less than 20% once you're choosing. And if you're not gonna be able to get on board with that decision, then you shouldn't send him there or her there, regardless of whatever other factors you're taking into account as to why you want to send them there. So that's the 80% rule. Uh, and I think there's a lot of truth to that. Uh, and I can say as working with adults uh, in, a, in a therapeutic setting, uh, I certainly see the, 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 the results of parents who do not abide by the 80% rule, and it's problematic. So um, I just want to, so I really, I really believe the, the 80% rule is a really important principle. And so I would, I would really think about applying that in this context. Uh, so thinking about and getting, getting the landscape of what are other parents saying here? What are, what are your, your kids' peers doing? What, what, what is the norm? But I think when thinking about this, that in this context and applying that, that 80% rule in this context, there's two different uh, kind of environments or factors to take into account because there's really two different cultures of drinking on Purim for teens. They, they're really two very different cultures. Uh, the first culture is one in which uh, a, a teenager is at a Rebbe's house and the Rebbe is potentially drinking and maybe older yeshiva bachram are drinking and, and, and there's drinking that's happening kind of in an open and almost as if permitted, maybe fully permitted, maybe not, different, uh, different environments, a kind of, kind of environment. And this is the norm. This is in an open and public way. This is the norm. Everyone in yeshiva is drinking. It's, uh, it's, it's just, it is, it is what's happening. Uh, and, the, and the other culture of drinking on Purim is teenagers who are doing it behind closed doors. So their, their school or their yeshiva or whatever it is, it's not something that's happening at the Rebbe's house. It's not something that's happening out in the open or publicly endorsed or as the norm. But all the guys are going to find somewhere to go to drink. And I think the 80% rule is different if we're talking about those two different cultures. Because if we're talking about the first culture, then I really believe the 80% rule applies. Right? So if you're sending your kid to a school or yeshiva where... 80% or above of the guys are going to be drinking in public, in the open. It's something that's part of the culture uh, that I think the 80% rule really applies. If it's really that it's, it's not like that, but behind closed doors, there's a lot of guys that are getting together and drinking in a kind of more secretive or hidden way, uh, I think that that's a, little bit, that's a little bit trickier in terms of whether or not that 80% rule applies. So again, I'm not weighing in on whether you should or shouldn't, uh, but just I think these are, these are some things to keep in mind. Um, 
The other thing I think is that what I often find is that parents um, often do one of two extremes. So one is to replicate exactly what their parents did, uh, either unknowingly or knowingly. And the other is to do the extreme opposite of what their parents did, uh, either knowingly or actually, either unknowingly or in this case, usually more knowingly, intentionally thinking, I didn't get something, I didn't like the way this happened, and now I'm going to go to the opposite extreme. And they think that by doing that, they're kind of doing a tikkun, they're kind of, you know, doing better. The problem is that that's not any better, because that's, both of them are really not about my kid. They're not about my child, they're not about parenting, they're really about me and kind of vicariously living my unlived life through my child. And so really it's important to, to take stock and to, to think about what am I doing, what decisions am I making based on my own stuff, my own baggage, my own unlived life, uh, my own things versus really taking into account what, what my kid needs, what my child needs, what's going on for him uh, in his situation, in his life, and, and taking each kid's particularities and uniqueness into account in that way. We need to think about them as their own, they are their own people, um, not opportunities for us to, uh, to kind of vicariously live out our, our stuff through. Um, the third is that I think it doesn't need to be an all or nothing decision, just another thing to, 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 to take into account here. Uh, we can think about letting them drink or not letting them drink, uh, but there's a lot of room in between, right? There could be decisions that have to do with, you know, how much, you know, you could have, a, you know, one cup, you could have two cups, you could have a certain kind of wine, which might have, you know, less effect, right? So there's a lot of gray area. It could be where can you drink? You can drink, you know, at a Rebbe's house. You can drink if there are other adults around. Um, you cannot drink in a, you know, somebody's garage or I don't know where, you know, I'm going to sound uh, dated. I have no idea where they do this or how they do this, right? Whatever it might be, right? At an open, ha empty house, right? Um, so there could be distinctions on how much, what it is, or where it is, right? Um, and the, the last and final point for this in terms of factors to take into account when you make your decision of what you want your child to do uh, is to realize that in the end of the day, sorry, just letting someone in. In the end of the day, it's nice to even think about this, right? Should I let them or should I not let them? But you don't actually have control, right? There is no letting them or not letting them. Uh, teenagers are supposed to break rules. They're supposed to rebel. They're supposed to give us a hard time. That's part of their exploring and developing their own identity. Uh, and, and, and that's actually important. So I think it is important to think about what, what you know, decision you want to come to, but to realize that, that you can't control them unless you, you know, kind of lock them in a room. And even then, you still can't really control them. Um, so, so thinking about, you know, how do you want to implement what this, whatever decision you come to? How do you want to implement that? Do you want to implement that uh, through a consequence? You know, that if, if you give them a decision, you know, you talk to them, you tell them that, you know, if I find out that something happened other than what we agreed upon, other than what I told you, that there's going to be a certain consequence, whatever that consequence might be. Uh, or you might, you might implement it in the opposite way. You might, you might incentivize positively. There's actually, I don't know if I should say his name or not, but there's, there's somebody I know. He's a, a, a pretty, uh, he, pretty hush of Rav. He's been, and, and not a person of, of, of a lot of, uh, of, a lot of uh, monetary uh, means. He's been learning, he's like in his 50s, he's been learning in Kyle his whole life. But he actually um, has a deal with each of his boys that he gives them $500 uh, at the end of each perm if they didn't drink anything. So he does positive incentive. And that's, you know, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. He's just super anti it. And uh, that's how he incentivizes them. Uh, and, and again, not, not, not a person who can do that easily. Uh, but he really believes that and that's how he does it. So there could be, it could be implemented through a, you know, a consequence, a quote unquote negative consequence. It could be, it could be implemented through a, a positive incentive. Okay, so those are, those are just different things to keep in mind in terms of how you want to think about what decision uh, you come to in terms of what you, uh, what you want for your, for your kid. The second area uh, that we want to talk about a little bit is how do you have this kind of conversation, 
right? So whatever decision you come to, and now you want to have a conversation. So the first thing to keep in mind, which is a, a basic principle in general, and if this is only coming out now, it's going to kind of be too late um, for, for Purim, but it's not too late overall, uh, which is that rules without relationship equals rebellion, right? It's a classic line people have hopefully heard, right? Rules without relationships equal rebellion. Um, so again, if, if, if that's going to be like a brand new endeavor right now, like, you know, half week before Purim, it's going to be a little bit tough. Um, but realizing that, you know, this is not about uh, lecturing. It's not about placing rules upon them. Um, it's really about trying to have a conversation. So how do you have conversations with teens? Uh, so I'm sure it's a lot harder than anything I'm about to say as somebody who doesn't actually have a teenage child yet. Um, but one of, the, one, one, one of the things that um, I heard someone talk about in a training uh, on, on parental relationship with teens once that I thought was really, really interesting and made a lot of sense to me is that if you think about like sports, so like tennis, for example, you play like facing each other, like I'm gonna hit the ball directly to you and you're gonna hit it directly back to me and we're facing each other. And there's other sports where it's like, I don't know if you're going skiing or something. You're, so you're kind of doing, you're both facing downhill. You're actually not, fa if you're skiing together with somebody, you're not, you're not facing each other. You are parallel skiing. You are skiing side by side. So conversations with teens, with conversations with adults are more like tennis. They should be, or hopefully. But conversations with teens, it should be like skiing. Um, teens do not do well with direct, face-to-face, -face, unbuffered, um, and completely uh, quality time intentional um, direct conversation. All the things that we strive for that we should do with adult relationships, we need to almost do the opposite when it comes to teens. So the trainer that was speaking about this, she told this really interesting story. It was Dr. Perrin. She, she told this, she said about herself that she used to keep, I thought this was really uh, cute. She used to keep uh, boxes of like carrot muffin or I don't know, pumpkin muffin um, mixes in her kitchen. And anytime it was like late at night, like 10 o'clock, 10.30, and she was like in her kitchen cleaning up or whatever it is, and her, her teenage son would come downstairs, she would quickly take out a box of muffins and pretend like she had just been starting to make muffins. So that it would, and she would say to him like, oh, hey, you know, can you, can you, can you keep me company while I'm, I'm about to make some fresh muffins? Like, would you, would you keep me company or would you help me like mix the batter? And, the, and, in, and then when she would do that, that would be her way to be able to bring him into conversations where he wouldn't feel like he's like being talked to in this kind of like very classic parenty, sit down, lecture, like sit down and listen to what I have to tell you now, son, right? But like this way of kind of in a, in a more side by side, much more buffered, they're not being overwhelmed by the attention and the lecturing nature of it. And she said, actually, it's very cute. She said that, that later when he was like 26, that he was, um, he was apparently, he was, he was dating someone, he was telling her about it. And about like all these like quality times about like when he was younger with his talking to his mother in the kitchen late at night. And she said all of a sudden she got a call from him and he said to her, I said, I just realized there was no way you were always making pumpkin muffins every time I happened to come downstairs. Right. So uh, and, and then and he realized like, wow, it was such, you know. Um, such a good hop. She didn't use the word hop, but uh, it's. Uh, and I think that you know, I think that's really uh, an important piece here, right? So thinking about how to have conversations like this in a more side by side way, in a more buffered way. So whether that's you know, if it's, it's shooting around a basketball, having a catch, um, driving somewhere to do an errand, um, going shopping, you know, I don't know, do some, you know, go go shopping for something for you know a new suit for Pesach or whatever it is, and in that find a way to have a conversation, right? Um, whatever it, whatever it might be. Um, as finding a way to make it more of a skiing side-by-side -side conversation with some sort of buffer. 
The other thing to keep in mind for a conversation like this that could be helpful but also needs to, I think, be balanced and not, not overboard is talking about yourself, if you have any of your own experiences in high school um, with, with, with drinking uh, in general or drinking on Purim. Um, I, think it's, I think it's really powerful, really profound to actually um, self-disclose to your kids struggles you've had and, and experiences um, so that they can see themselves, they can see you as being human also and understanding. And, and even, if you, if, even if it means disclosing, you know, mistakes you made, you know, bad experiences you had. Um, I think, you know, being careful not to be overboard on um, kind of divulging more than they would want to hear. Um, but, but there is a, a value in, in talking about your own experiences as opposed to, again, as opposed to kind of lecturing them. And the last thing on this piece of how to have a conversation is I actually think that the best way potentially to, 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 to approach this topic in particular, uh, but maybe, maybe many in general, is to actually, before even having any conversation with them, is to encourage them to make up, to, to come up with their own plan and their own rules. So actually inviting them to come up with their own plan. What, before, before giving them anything, saying, what do you have in mind uh, for what you want to do on Purim in terms of drinking? Like, obviously you're going to be, like, let's be real. You're going to be in environments that have drinking. You're going to have peers and friends who are drinking. You're going to have Rebbeim who are drunk. You're going to, you know, so what, what do you want to do? Like, are you planning on drinking? Are you not? And then you might need to, you know, say a few things to uh, encourage them to actually tell you some truth. Um, but, but to encourage them before, and, and you might even say, uh, you know, I really want you to come up with something. Um, and if you come up with, if you don't come up with something that you share with me, then I'm going to come up with something because we need to have a plan. But I far prefer that you be the one to come up with something. Um, and if it works, all the better. Um, and, you know, if it works for us, all the better. And if I need to tweak something, I can tweak something. Um, but I would so much prefer that you come up with your own plan and tell it to me as opposed to me coming up with a plan and, 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 and telling it to you. So those are some ideas on, uh, on how to have these conversations. The uh, third area uh, is information to make sure that they know. Uh, so again, if you take that approach of encouraging them to come up with something for you, you might actually start that way and not tell them anything I'm about to tell you now until after they come up with something, which hopefully maybe they do. Uh, but, but then at some point, making sure that they also do have you know, the information they need to have. So um, some things to make sure that they know, and I think it's really important to, to give education on this, even if you decide to be really firm, maybe even with consequences and no drinking, you're not allowed to drink, even if you take that approach, uh, this is going to be kind of counterintuitive what I'm going to say now, but even if you take that approach, maybe even especially if you take that approach, uh, it's really important to give them education on how to drink if they do drink because they just might not listen to you <laughs> and, and that really might happen. And so if they don't listen to you and they don't have any information and they know they're breaking the rules, what's gonna end up happening is gonna go even more extreme and even more secretive and then it's gonna be far worse. So even if you take the, uh, uh, a more strict approach, whatever level of strictness or whatever level of, of, of openness, uh, making sure that they know how they can drink in responsible ways if they do decide to drink. So thinking, so making sure they understand the difference between drinking on an empty stomach and a non-empty stomach, right? Especially this applies, especially at night after Tinus Esther. Um, so there's a, you know, making sure they know there's a huge difference. They might, and, and really being open with them, they might have seen many people drink a lot and they might have seen people who know how to drink for better or for worse, but know how to drink. They've seen that, but they don't realize that this person knows how to drink, right? They don't know the difference between someone who knows how to drink and somebody who doesn't know how to drink. So they just think, oh, they just go and, you know, just drink away. Um, so talking about the difference between drinking on an empty stomach and not drinking on an empty stomach. Um, not drinking too quickly, um, because if you drink too, and explaining this to them, right? If you drink too quickly, um, you won't be able to tell the effect. 
because it's it's just piling up and you're you're thinking oh I don't feel anything yet. I don't feel anything yet and then all of a sudden you stand up and you know it's a lot more than you thought or you start dancing and it's a lot more than you thought uh, and you, and you didn't realize that so really talking about spacing spacing out drinks um, drinking water um, during um, and after but drinking as much water as possible and again giving this to them even if you don't want them to be drinking that's the that's the counterintuitive important piece here uh, talking about tolerance levels. Um, explain to them that many adults you might have seen adults have bigger body mass and um, have probably drunk more over the course of their life um, and so they might have more tolerance so not so so understanding that uh, you know if this is first time drinking or or you know you haven't drunk much and you're still a teen you're still smaller whatever it is um, you might not have so much tolerance and it might hit you a lot quicker than you think um, also the difference between different types of wine right they may have drunk I don't know, blue bottle bartender on their Shabbos table a bunch of times and thought, oh, you see, I can drink a whole cup of wine. It doesn't do anything. Um, but the difference between, and, and they may or may not know, right? Um, let's not be so naive to think that, that all this is their first time drinking, right? So it might be that many of them have drunk a ton already. Um, but, but, you know, maybe this is an opportunity to check that out with them. Um, one sec, just let somebody in. Okay, um, so, so talking about different types of wine, um, they might also want to know the truth is that, you know, sometimes actually those blue bottles can actually create worse stomach aches because there's just so much sugar. Just really talking about this because they, they might not know what hit them. Um, okay, and then, uh, and then one more thing, which is, um, you know, different types of, of alcohol, if it's hard alcohol versus wine and, and mixing drinks, really, which is one of the most dangerous um, possibilities, especially, right, if there's hard alcohol involved, so not mixing. Um, so again, talking to them, if you decide to drink, right, however much you decide to drink, even if you decide to go against my rules, please know that you can, you should still make good choices, even if you're not listening. And I hope you listen. I hope you follow these rules, but even if you don't hear the things you should be taking into account. Um, another thing to, to educate them about is the symptoms. Um, and I think it's important to say that you're not telling this to them to scare them. Um, but it's that it's that, that you want to make sure they know about it so they can be educated. Um, so these, these are, these are, you know, going through the different symptoms of a person drinks, especially if they drink too much, right? So vomiting, um, losing consciousness, um, uncoordinated movements, uh, dehydration, alcohol poisoning. And again, not to scare them too much, scare them a little bit, but not to scare them too much. But that last point, especially, right, the alcohol poisoning, really, it, it, can, be, can, it, can, it can be fatal. It, um, it really can. Um, and so uh, making sure that they know that. Um, and if they don't make good choices about how they drink, um, if they drink, um, that, that it really does have that potential. Uh, and then especially the danger of driving drunk and getting in a car with anybody who is a drunk driver. Uh, we'll come back to that at the end as the last point, um, but I think that those two points really are maybe the most important points to make, right? Is the, is especially is, is getting in the car with anybody who's, who's a drunk driver um, or if they have drunk anything, if they're the one driving. Um, and then I think the last thing on this point is it is an opportunity to talk to them about the difference between drinking to escape problems and drinking for a mitzvah. Um, and understanding that drinking for a mitzvah doesn't mean being the biggest tzaddik in the world and having only the most lishma intentions, right? Um, but, but talking about the difference between drinking, uh, again, I mean, you have to figure out how much you can actually get into this conversation, right? Because you, <laughs> there's you know, only so much uh, tolerance that's going to be able to be had to have this conversation. But if the opportunity does present itself, it is a great opportunity to talk about healthy coping mechanisms and healthy ways of dealing with problems, whether it's their social struggles, whether it's anxiety, whether it's not feeling that, that, that they're the best in the, in the class or the top of the sheer or whatever it is. Um, and so, so, so talking about uh, how different ways that 
alcohol is used and different ways that alcohol uh, is part of a person's life and the difference between somebody drinking to escape problems and somebody drinking uh, for, for Kedusha reasons or someone drinking socially and there's all, all different types and, and talking to them about that. And, and that's an opportunity also to ask them what they've seen. Uh, and, what, and what it's like for them when they see somebody, somebody drinking. If they're going to see their Rebbe drunk on, on Purim, what's that going to be like for them? And, and how are they going to process that? Are they, are they, is that exciting for them? Is that, are, they, are they scared about that? Does that make them nervous? Uh, Etc. Okay, so those are different things. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great point. I should, uh, yeah, yeah, it's a great point. Yeah, to to know that that um, alcohol with certain medications can be a, a you know a really uh, dangerous combination. Um, so you know, knowing knowing uh, knowing if your child is on medication, if it's a problem to drink with that, and then and then making sure to mention that. Yeah, it's a really good point. Um, okay, the fourth uh, fourth kind of aspect to this um, is preparing uh, for scenarios um, and making healthy choices. Um, so. Again, going back to the idea of encouraging them to come up with their own decision uh, of, the, of what they want to do um, and then having them come back um, with tweaks or with a different conclusion. Um, and um, yeah, so, so, so that idea, right, of, of, of having them be the one to, to come up with their plan um, and presenting it to you um, and, then, um, and then trying to help them, help them think that through for different scenarios. So whatever the conclusion is, asking them if they need help to implement it and what they're worried about in terms of actually following through and, and making sure that they, people keep coming in, um, making sure that, they, uh, that they're prepared um, and, able to, and able to implement it. Um, so, so something that uh, one of the, the first people who, who I kind of mentored in these types of, of things um, from our very own community, um, Rachel Zimmerman, so she always talks about preparing kids with what-if scenarios. Um, right, so going through kind of different uh, different what ifs, right? So so you know, what if you decided you're gonna have one drink, um, and then after one drink, you know, you feel like you're not feeling it anymore. So talking that through with them. What if uh, a really cool older base medrash guy is pressuring you to have to drink more with him, right? Uh, what if everyone's making fun of you for not drinking if you decided you weren't gonna drink? What if you're in a car and you realize that the driver is tipsy, um, or something like that, right? So what do you do in these scenarios? So really helping them helping them think through. Helping them, you know, really be prepared. Whatever decision or whatever plan that they've come up with or that you've agreed upon with them, trying to really think through um, some of the, the what if types of scenarios. Um, the last uh, last topic um, that I want to mention on this, um, and I would say maybe this is the most important topic, um, is making sure they know that you are their safety net for dangerous situations and having them prepared for that, and really being clear with them that no matter what no matter what the situation is, even if they have kind of gone against everything that you've told them, even if they've literally violated every rule that you agreed upon, um, that, that, that it is essential that they know that in the moment of need, they have full immunity, right? And I would, you know, maybe you, you can use those words or not, but, but explain that to them, um, that, they have, that they have full immunity, right? So that if they're in a situation that is dangerous, that they realize things have gone wrong, um, this is not okay, um, and, and maybe they made a mistake and they're scared to call you, they're scared to tell you, um, but making sure that they know that in the end of the day, above and beyond everything and anything else, the most important thing they can do um, is to make sure that they call you, call Hatzalah, call whatever they need to do. Um, and some of those situations would really be, um, I would say, you know, the two that I think are really the most important to really speak out with them is, God forbid, if they're in a situation where there's a drunk driver, um, and speaking out with them what they would do in that situation, 
um, if they're already in the car, if they're already driving, or if they're not in the car yet, or if they're stranded, what they would do in that situation. Um, and the other is if they realize that they themselves uh, or somebody else um, that's near them um, is in a situation uh, where they um, you know, are really showing all those symptoms that I spoke through before, right? The vomiting, the losing consciousness, if it's heavier, slower breathing, if the person is shivering, um, if, if you can tell that, that they're, that they're looting, you know, losing some of their, their, their vital signs um, and making sure that in situations like that to really, um, to really call and to know that you will be a safe you will be a safe person for them in that moment to speak out to them that if you call me in a moment like that, I will not give you a hard time. I will not start lecturing you. I will not start calling you out for any rules that you broke. You will have full immunity in that moment. If there's anything we need to figure out at a later point, we'll figure it out at a later point. But the first and, and foremost thing is that we will turn anything else off to make sure that, that we come um, and, and, and to make sure that, that you're safe and that, and that that is the most important thing. Um, and so along those lines, um, making sure that they have a cell phone with them, um, making sure it's charged, uh, making sure um, that there's a plan in terms of drivers of how they're getting around or where they're going. Um, and um, I, just the last thing I would say on this, uh, I think that you know having consequences um, we're about to finish, but somebody else just came in. Um, having uh, having consequences um, for you know for whatever decision you come up with, if they are to violate it in general, um, is obviously a very healthy parenting thing um, to do. And in a situation like this, might be might be healthy too. I would just say that the thing that it really in a situation like this that it really needs to be balanced with is the reality that we want to make sure that that safety net piece is really. Um, emphasized, and if you have some sort of really severe consequence that you're kind of hanging over their head, that might compromise the possibility of actually being a safety net to them because they're just not going to want to call you um, if they need to. So it doesn't mean you know you can't, um, but really kind of taking that into account when making uh, making a decision like that. And then the last thing on this is it's easy to say you know kind of making sure that they that they know that they should call us, uh, but that also means it's kind of sticking to our side of it, right? Because it's really easy on Purim. Um, to, to not answer your phone if you're called, right? It's, you know, you're at a Suda and it's crazy and there's a million things going on. Um, and so making sure that, you know, that, that, that just like you're telling them that, that they need to call, um, that you actually are, are available and you're, you're prepared to be able to, uh, you know, again, hopefully you should never come to it, but, but if it's needed um, to be able to, to, to help them and step in. And the other thing I would just mention on this is to emphasize also, it doesn't need to be that it got to some sort of like real um, life and death situation. I mean, that's what we're preparing for worst case scenario. And I think it's, again, really important to emphasize and speak that out really clearly and explicitly. But telling them that this safety net rule and this full immunity and this idea applies for the smallest thing too, right? So if they... If, if they're just uncomfortable, if they just realize, you know, I'm in a situation, I'm totally fine, everything's fine, but I just don't feel good here. I, I actually really don't want to be here. I want to, you know, I thought I'd have the best time at my Rebbe Suda, but I actually just want to come back to my family, you know, whatever it is. Um, I just, you know, I, I had one drink and I really don't feel good about it. Or I had five drinks and I don't, whatever it is, it doesn't have to be, um, a, you know, a life and death situation. Um, but, but really any situation in which they realize that they feel uncomfortable, really knowing that, that, you're, that you're hoping and wanting them to call you and that you know, you'll drop anything else and make sure, make sure to be there for them um, in, in a situation like that. Um, and then the, the, the last and final thing I would just say is um, it'd be really cool also to debrief with them after perm about this, right? So we think a lot about preparing and kind of talking in advance um, but it's an amazing opportunity. Um, it's not just kind of like something to be worried about. It's an amazing opportunity. Um, and especially for that piece I mentioned before about talking about different types of drinking, whether it's an addiction, you know, drinking to escape a problem and how that can turn into an addiction or if it's drinking for a mitzvah or if it's drinking socially or, or whatever it is. Um, 
so so we prepare them for Purim, hopefully, and then regardless if it goes seemingly perfectly or seemingly badly or somewhere in the middle, or we don't know how it went, but to find that same kind of, you know, again, take out the, the muffin mix type of opportunity to after Purim um, have some sort of debrief with them. Uh, you know, what was it like for you? What, you know, what... Um, you know, um, what did you decide to do? And they may or may not tell you, um, but, uh, but, but even just opening that door and, and having an opportunity to talk about that. So those are the uh, kind of five, uh, five different things I wanted to, to, to just uh, share, right? So factors to take into account when making the decision, um, how to have the conversation, uh, information to make sure that they know about drinking and about alcohol, um, and uh, equipping them for thinking through scenarios that might come up depending on how they, whatever they decide to do, um, or whether whatever you decide to do with them. And then lastly, uh, making sure that you have that kind of safety net um, and safety planning piece um, set and, and spoken out with them. So um, I don't know if there's any, any questions on Zoom. People can unmute themselves if they want. We can spend a few minutes or in person. Um, and uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's a wrap. I have a question. Yeah. Um, I'm so sorry, I only got this a little bit late. What would you suggest I tell my son about mixing drinks? Because in the past I've told him, don't mix whiskey with wine. Um, and he's been pretty good about that. But I feel like in the moment, they're not really paying attention. Mm-hmm. So, so like, is there anything that's, I guess, any kind of tagline that, that you would suggest that, that we should use to kind of reiterate the, um, the severity of mixing or the after effects of mixing? I don't know, something along those lines. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, uh, I don't know, there is some slogan about mixing drinks. I forgot exactly how it goes, but there is some tagline, <laughs> if anyone knows it. Um, but I don't, I don't know that that's gonna help much. Um, but uh, it, it's a good question. I, I don't know. Um, I think, um, you know, I, I think that emphasizing, I think the, what is it? Right, wine before liquor, never been sicker, right, yeah, something like that. <laughs> right, okay, so, um, so, so, uh, yeah, I, I think, I think that emphasizing um, the options that they do have, right, um, as opposed to just, you know, talking about what they can't do. Um, could possibly help, um, right? So talking about how um, the right ways to drink um, and, and, you know, if there is a right way to drink, but the right ways to drink. Um, and, uh, and, 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 you know, again, in the end of the day, there's very little um, that can be done um, to actually control anyone. Um, but uh, but, but if, I, I think that if a person has the, the right type of relationship and, and openness about this and, and again, making sure that they know that if they do mix drinks and things go wrong, um, that they, you know, knowing what their options are in terms of uh, reaching, out for, reaching out for help um, and, and making sure that they do get help and knowing what the signs are for when they need help um, and knowing, making sure they know how to do that. But I think, again, also really just emphasizing the options they do have for how to have fun, how to be able to drink. If, if you know they're drinking anyway, and what you're hoping they avoid is mixing the drinks, so uh, talking out the ways that, that they can do it in ways that, that will be more safe. Um, and you're right, and ultimately they'll end up having more fun if, they, if, they're, not, if they're not as sick, right? So, so emphasizing that. But you're right, in the end of the day, um, if they're caught up in the moment, uh, especially if they've already had a few drinks, um, that's going to be a, a harder, a harder thing to control. Thank you. Um, I came in uh, late as well. I kind of wish I had this link before. 
But I just want to ask if you had covered anything about recreational drugs. Um, I know that in Canada, marijuana is kind of legal and maybe easier for kids to, to, uh, to have fun with. But have you covered that yet? It's such a great question because it's for sure going on a lot too. I didn't actually. Um, I didn't talk about it, but it's... Can I just be specific about the question? I'm sorry to interrupt you. But um, kind of drugs are one of the areas I think that parents would love to be like a hard no on, right? We can talk about how, you know, harm reduction maybe around drinking, but you'd love to have a hard no around drugs. And, um, you know, I'm hearing you say is, you know, we need the safety plan. We need all that. We need the prep. But it's, it's, it's so hard to that balance between okay but that's a no yeah i mean i would i would apply the same approach that i was just talking about with drugs too um but i you're right i didn't talk about it but i think the principles are all the same we'd like to have a hard no but i don't know i don't know what the i don't know what we gain by having a hard. i mean yeah <laughs> we can't control our kids we can try and have consequences incentives and relationships um, and openness and safety. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're right. I, I don't, I, I don't know that there's any way in which it's fundamentally different. Um, at this, at, at this point in our culture, I don't know that there's any way in which any of the principles are, are different between alcohol and drugs. You're saying that drugs and alcohol being mixed? Yeah, it probably is. Yeah. Is that like more likely Probably, right? I don't know. I would imagine so. Someone's just entering now. <laughs> um, sorry, yeah, I don't know. I, I yeah, I, I don't, I don't have more of an answer than that. That I think that it really is. It really, I, I think you're right, and I think it really is the same principles. I don't, I don't think there's anything really fundamentally different. Maybe once upon a time when you know when the drugs were more uh, in the shadows, um, but at this point, I think it's really, it's really the same thing. What do you say? With right, with being legal. legal. It's, it's it's this at this point I think it's 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 the same thing. I think it I think the way that we the way I think every everything I would have I said, I think I don't have to think through it more, but I think I would have given the exact same points if this was a talk on drugs on Purim how to talk to your teen. <laughs> Instead of drinking on Purim how to talk to your teen. I think I would have had the exact pretty much the exact same uh, same presentation. I have a question. Yeah. Do teens um, care, or is there even an impact in talking about them, about possible legal consequences and what that might look like for them? Yeah, I thought about that too, yeah. Adult loved ones with those consequences to look, could look like from the home that they might be taking alcohol from. Right, but I right. don't know if those kinds of consequences have an impact on a teenage brain. Yeah, uh, so just to repeat the question for Zoom, the Zoomers, um, question was is it is there a value in, in bringing up the legal consequences either the, to themselves or the legal consequences that would that would fall on the adults who who are providing the alcohol um to minors um i don't think there's anything like per se wrong with bringing it up i don't see it being particularly effective because in the end of the day i think they all know that clearly nothing's happening to anyone right, right? Okay. so it's like you know, it's kind of like jaywalking, right? Like, I mean, nothing's happening to anyone. So I don't know that it would particularly have an effect on them. Um, I think it, would, it, it, might, it might almost come across as too parenty, right? As like, I have something I can try and think I have power, you know, to, to kind of wave over you. Um, I don't think, you know, not necessarily anything wrong with it, but I don't think it'll do much good and it potentially could actually kind of push them away from wanting to have a conversation about it. I think that's my intuition.
Yeah. Um, you mentioned that mixing drinks can be dangerous. We should talk to our kids about that. This might sound stupid because I don't know anything about drinking. Well, what does mixing drinks mean? Does it mean like they should only stick to, let's say, wine or only stick to beer or means actually mixing them or one right yeah. after the other? It's a good question. To be fully honest, I'm not like, I'm not a big drinker and I'm not like super holding in this stuff. Um, but, um, I think the rule of thumb is sticking to one drink, right? So if you're, if you're drinking, right, one type of drink. So if you're drinking, right, if you're drinking wine, drink wine. If you're drinking scotch, drink scotch. If you're drinking bourbon, drink bourbon. If you're drinking tequila, drink tequila. Don't drink tequila and scotch and wine, right? Um, those that, you know, or vodka, whatever it is, right? So sticking to one one line of, uh, of one type of alcohol, I think is the, is the rule of thumb, right? Yeah. Any other questions on Zoom? It's okay if not. Hey, Rebby, I was just gonna say that maybe, um, Sione Bellos, by the way, everybody. How you doing, guys? Uh, that possibly um, the kid who, the question about the, mixing drinks, right? The kids said sitting at the table and whatever. Um, that's the 80% you were talking about. Maybe there's 20% who aren't drinking and could look after these kids, you know, make sure that they're doing all right. I mean, it's a great idea. Good. Yeah. If you talk to your kid, that's actually, I like that a lot. You know, if, if your kid is planning on drinking, um, talking to him about finding a friend who's, who's not planning on it and kind of creating some sort of, you know, almost designated driver type of type of situation. If he has a friend who anyways isn't planning on it and is reliable, right. it's a really nice idea. Yeah. I mean, I was one of those guys who, you know, had the exact opposite of my parents. So that's a good idea. Well, it's the same, right. Same, I think, I think same thing, right? But meaning, right. Yeah. And I think Hatsala should be in their speed dial. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, talk to them about that, putting Hatsala in their speed dial. Yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, both good points. Okay. Okay, awesome. We should uh, have a uh, safe and, uh, and, and very, very uh, Kedusha-filled uh, Purim with, uh, with connecting uh, to all the right things in the right ways. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, the Palestinians. Thank you. Thank you, Upward. Thank you. That was awesome. Yeah, yeah it's it's Thank you for joining us for this episode of Mental Health Matters. To learn more about Upward Community, please visit us at upwardcommunitychicago.org. And don't forget to join us next time for another Mental Health Matters.